So we are in week two of a conflict series. I mean, this is so important. I don't know where everybody's coming from, but I would bet a lot of money if I was able to kind of add up all the pain in this room, the vast majority of it will come down to some sort of broken relationship, some sort of relational strain or pain. How many people in this room haven't spoken to a family member for years? I mean, this is all of us, right? How many of you took an icy cold drive to church this morning? I won't make you raise your hand. <laughs> we know we're not talking about temperature, but there wasn't a lot of talking, a little bit of noises and grunts. It is always all the time, every day. Right now, I'm in conflict every morning with my belt. It's like, you need a bigger belt. I'm like, mind your business. It's holiday weight. It's coming off. It's fine. Right? We're constantly in conflict. I mean, that is the grand story of God's word. It is relational conflict. They were in good relationship. Because of sin, they were banished. They had a strained relationship from God. And the whole story is about God reconciling us to himself. That is what we should be about. As Christians, right, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called the sons of God. As Christians, this should be our calling card, peacemakers, those that heal relationships. So we just said this is what the whole Bible is about. This is one of the most important things in our lives, but yet we have so little understanding or ability to do it, hence this series. So to talk, okay, this is so important as Christians and as humans, so let's talk about how do we do that, and we're breaking it up into a couple of different segments. We kind of are in week two, and if you remember from last week, we started with how to confront, right? So we're talking about, okay, what about if somebody sins against you, what do you do? And now we're kind of turning the table, what happens when you sin against somebody else? We're going to unpack a ton of verses, but I want you to see these together as we talk about conflict. So the first one is from last week. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And then Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, you sinned against him. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. It's so important, I think, as Christians, right? We want to just, oh, that's just between me and God. We want to separate the vertical from the horizontal, and God says, you can't do that. Don't act like we're good when nobody else, and you're not good with so many other people. Go and fix that. Part of why I put these up together. Hopefully you see the common word in there. You know what? If somebody sins against you, what do you do? Go. If you sinned against somebody else, what do you do? Go. As Christians, we are goers. We are peacemakers. We don't have the privilege to sit back in relational distance and harm and say, well, they started it. I'm not going to them. They're the ones that started it. Why would I go to them? Or this wasn't my fault. This is, and for any number, we've hide behind all kind of reasons. I mean, the big one, right? It's too late to apologize. It's too late. Remember that one? It's too late, that one. We come up with any number of excuses. 
But as Christians, this is the mark of who we are. We're peacemakers. We're reconcilers. I don't care what one republic says in their song, right? We are to be goers. We need to be about initiating, not just reacting and passively sitting back. You've been sinned against? Go. You sinned against somebody? Go. We should be about reconciliation and healing. And so, and I want to be clear of this too, right? We're handling it separately. Like, okay, when you've been sinned against and now when you've sinned against somebody, let's be dead clear it is not that neat and tidy. In all conflict, it's not, okay, we have the wrongdoer and the wronged. Like, lock that into your soul. Like, make a lock noise in your mind. Like, whatever you got to do, drive that home. Don't just sit, okay, I'm the victim, I'm the wrongdoer. It almost always, okay, this is, I'm both in almost every conflict. But now I want to deal with you and the sins that you and I commit, what do we do when we have wronged? And we're going to walk through what I was exposed to. This is so practical, right? You saw in the the titles, this is a how-to. But I want you to be very clear. Don't just make it a checkbox, right? This is so much dependent on your heart getting in the right place. But I want it to be powerful. And to be powerful, it has to be practical. So we're going to walk through the seven A's of a biblical apology. And I know you can barely ever remember one point. So after the sermon, I'm going to give you all seven A's. So you can kind of take those. And this is what I was initially schooled in of how to reconcile, how to make peace, and particularly how to apologize. But this isn't a weapon that if I perfectly apologize, now you owe me forgiveness. But please, apply these powerful principles. And that's what we're going to walk through right now. So the seven A's of a biblical apology, starting with address everyone involved. I think this is a kind of a sneaky one when we can forget. Right? Okay, I just want to, here's our general approach. I want to say as little to as little people as possible. Right? I just want to, okay, who did I hurt? I'm I'm sorry. And then I want to go away. But biblically, I think there's beauty in addressing everyone involved. There was conflict between two of the big dog apostles, Peter and Paul, had conflict, and look how it's addressed in Galatians. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, notice, before them all. Isn't that a little messed up? You got an issue with somebody. I think it's a good general rule of thumb. You go to that person. Why the exception here? Because Peter's sin was harming the community. Where public harm has been done, public healing needs to take place. See, conflict, we think it's so bad, but it is healing. It's good. It's restorative. So why would we be so stingy with the healing? Why would we, I just want to tell as few people in as little amount that I can. If as far as the offense has gone, that's how far the apology should go. We had a great example of this in our church staff recently. We were at a staff meeting, and somebody just worded something poorly, just said something they shouldn't. And, you know, I don't want to air their dirty laundry, but it was Pastor Austin. 
It was Pastor, it was Pastor McKinnon. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> Calm down, I got his permission, okay? And normally I wouldn't say his name, but you know why? I'm not condemning him. I'm complimenting him. Because look, we all make mistakes. The only question is, do we own them? And how this played out, he, again, he worried something poorly in a meeting, and that kind of hurt somebody, and they went, very biblically, kind of went to him, and they very easily, he very easily could uh, just apologize to them and move on. And I bet that's what I would have done. But with this principle, he realized, you know what? I said that to the whole staff. And then he went back and sent an email to the whole staff. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry I said that. Right? You got it. You're in a work meeting and you roast one of the employees that you work with and totally just disrespect them. Who are you apologizing to? Them is obvious. But then I think everybody in that meeting. So that's a sneaky one, but I think an important one. We need to address all those that have been harmed. If somebody was affected by your sin, they deserve the right to experience healing from that through your apology. So that is number one. It gets pretty fun on number two. Let's dive in. Avoid if, but, because, and maybe. Have you ever in your life heard an apology without those words? Our apologies have far too many commas. Stop with the commas in your apology. And you know what? I did lose it, but you did this. When you say that word, but, you just get rid of everything you just said. How often... I mean, do we just not hear, just an outright, you know what? I was only thinking about myself. I didn't do what I said. I'm sorry. That might as well be Japanese to some people. Like, I, I can't understand these words you're saying. That is so foreign to us because we are so used to just relativizing, minimizing, blaming. Almost all our apologies run and are accompanied with an if, but, because, and maybe. <laughs> it's going to get heavy in here, but I like this quote. This is Ken Sandy. He was kind of wrote the book on peacemakers. Authentic confession means getting past cheap phrases like, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Mumbling those feeble words rarely brings people back together. These bad confessions are toxic. They do more harm than good. You're really saying, I'm not convinced I did anything wrong, or deep down, I think this is more your fault than mine. You haven't taken any responsibility. If you really want to make peace, ask God to help you humbly and thoroughly admit your wrongs. Some of you may be hearing this for the first time. Some of you have heard it before. Obviously, I have. Man, is this good to hear again. How hard is this to do? And in some ways... We have been wrestling with this literally since the beginning of time. I want to take you back to Genesis 3, like the beginning of it all, the very first offense and how Adam and Eve first handled this. So this is in the garden right after they eat the fruit. Genesis 3, 10 through 13. And he said, this is Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid 
because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, that's God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. From the beginning of time, this has been our default to blame shift. Like, I kind of wish I could have been in the garden. Like, I think God knew that he ate of the tree, but he's like, hey, guys, what happened here? Something seems a little off. Adam, what's up, buddy? And he's like, well, no, I didn't do I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done it. Yes, I did it, but she gave it to me. If she didn't eat it, why would I have eaten it? I don't even like Granny Smith. That was a Granny Smith, but she told me it was better. And then he, well, I blame him. I mean, you see that? Why did you do that? The woman? And you know she's seething at this point. Like, did you throw me under the bus under Lord God Almighty right now? That's, that's how we're playing this one, homie. Would you do? No, me, me, yeah. Yeah, I did that, but the serpent, if you wouldn't have put the serpent, and is she blaming God at this point? I don't even know, but she is blaming everybody, blame-shifting, minimizing, not just making a confession of what we've done, has been and will be our default through all of time apart from God. If you find yourself in apology saying, if, but, maybe, just start over. Right? Because I'm rationalizing. I'm justifying. I know I need to grow in this. I'm sure we all do. Avoid those phrases. I want my hope for this. isn't just so you know how to give a good apology. It's for relationships to be healed. Healing starts when blame shifting ends. When you stop pointing the finger of them and what they're doing, and when you stop blame shifting... And start confessing and owning your side of it. It rolls to that. So please avoid if, but, maybe, because. Well, maybe I did that. But, you know, if you weren't so sensitive, we wouldn't have. <laughs> I usually are like 15 women simultaneously. Like, oh, okay, you weren't even going to say that. Right? So that's kind of what we avoid. But what do we do? Avoid rationalizing and blaming. And then here is the goal. Admit specifically both attitudes and actions. It's funny, you don't really see, depending on translation, kind of the word apology. That's kind of a a term we've created. It's not necessarily bad, but we just mean, oh, I just say I'm sorry and I move on. It's so much more than that. The biblical words are confession, repentance. If your brother comes to you and repents, confess your sins to one another. That's what we're talking about. What is confession? It's telling the truth about exactly what I did. And there's another small word on there that I think is so important. We always just want to, okay, sorry, I didn't call. Let's move on. I think it's really important to get to the attitudes as well. Because I think if you leave that unaddressed, it's good to specifically admit what you did wrong, but I think it's helpful to get to attitudes as well. See, James, in the book of James, really addresses conflict full on. And he gets at what the heart of conflict is. Let's read this passage together. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? 
Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Why are you in conflict? And we, we literally believe this, right? <laughs> we really believe not this, because in our minds, like, no. If they would load the dishes right, I wouldn't be in conflict. It's not here. That's the problem. Why are you in conflict? Because nobody knows how to drive. If people knew how to drive, I wouldn't be in conflict. Right? That's the issue. The way you talk to me, the way you don't do this. What's the source of conflict? They're not even necessarily bad desires. But something I desire is the spark. And then what do you do when that desire is not met? You, you respond inappropriately. So my desire, and maybe good desire, is the spark. And my poor response is the gasoline that leads to the fire of conflict. So you can keep thinking it's about that thing. Let's just take the dishes. TPS reports, take your pick. I don't, whatever it is, you can say it's that. Or you could say, maybe it's that I've, get crapped on all day. Like, I'm just completely devalued everywhere I go. And at work, I get spit on all day. I have no value all day. And then I come home to the one place where I should get respected. And the one thing I'm asking you to do, you can't do. Is it about the dishes? Right? And if I never address my jealousy, my anxiety, my fear, my anger, it's going to be hard to have healing because we're not getting to the root of the conflict. Yes, admit behavior. That's huge. Not just saying I'm sorry, but confess what is going on in your heart. And again, this isn't a checklist. You might not always do that. Like, oh, I banged, you know, my shopping cart into yours. I'm sorry. My heart is one of jealousy. I wanted your spot. It's a... But, by and large, right, like, address the source of conflict, not just what's being done if you want to get to that healing. And this is so hard. You know, what is the key ingredient? We can, again, we can get to, here's the word you say, here's the steps. But so much of it comes down to a heart posture. And again, James, as he's dealing with conflict, gets us there. What do we need? What's our heart posture? Let's look further in that passage together. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. How much of our conflict is just our pride? I need to prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong. James goes on to say, look, your job isn't to be the judge. And in conflict, that's what we want to do. I want to be the judge. I declare you wrong, and I'm right. He said, you're not the judge. That is not your job. What is your job? It's to be humble. 
we get in conflict because of our pride. And I want to, and this, I feel acutely. I'm defensive and I want to feel and show that I'm not in the wrong. And guess what happens when we stick in our pride? I'm not just in conflict now with the person, my coworker, whoever. I'm now in conflict with God. God opposes the proud. If you want to stay in your pride, he's like, okay, you want to tussle? Let's tussle. You need to be humble. How else can you admit the the dark stuff in your heart? Like the messed up stuff you've done without qualifying it. So a huge part of this is coming before God humbly and experiencing that. Okay, he will exalt you. When we experience his forgiveness, we can feel free to be perfectly humble. I think this is so important. See, part of that, it's all about we want to be right and wrong. Why don't I apologize? Now, surely, I guess, again, you can say, no, I handled this exactly how Christ was. I was Christ-like. I didn't make a mistake. You're wrong. Okay, you know. But there is something I think we almost always can confess. But what do we do? If I can rationalize in my mind that I'm just 49% at fault and you're 51, I'm now the victim. This is your fault. You apologize. You start this. I'll apologize when you apologize because you are more wrong than me. How often, right? I love this slogan. This is out of Peacemaker's ministry. I think it's so good. If I'm only 2% responsible for a conflict, I'm 100% responsible for my 2%. Let that sink in. But we don't do that. You say, no, it's like 80% your fault. I'm like maybe 30% to blame. What's the problem? And it's like, you need more humility and math, brother. Like, <laughs> and I love the, but I love the numbers they use. Isn't this how it always emotionally feels? You are, yeah, maybe I can have something, a sliver, but you're the one. I don't care. Again, it's not my job to judge you. It's not my job to judge the situation and clear my name. It's my job to be humble. I think so much we think we need more compatibility. You don't need more compatibility. You need more biblical confession and biblical conflict resolution. You're going to be in conflict. If you are interacting with another human being who is faulty and has a, is a sinner like you, we have to be able to figure out how to do this, how to admit our faults and our attitudes and actions humbly. So that is the heart of an apology. Admit and confess what you have done wrong, but there are a couple more to go. Let's keep rolling through. Acknowledge the hurt. I think this is so important. Again, I'm trying to heal this relationship. So I can say, oh, I'm sorry this thing I did and move on. But if the goal is healing, how helpful it is to express the sorrow for how you've hurt them. David famously gets just caught red-handed in a sin, but such a beautiful picture of confession flows out of that. I mean, he is dead in the wrong. And listen, if you want to know what a biblical confession apology looks like, listen to David in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your loyal love, because of your great compassion, wipe away my rebellious acts. Wash away my wrongdoings. Cleanse me of my sin. Listen to how he owns it. For I am aware of my rebellious acts. 
I am forever conscious of my sin against you and you above all I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. See, you are just when you confront me. You are right when you condemn me. Look, I was guilty of sin from birth, a sinner from the, uh, the sinner the moment my mother conceived me. That's a confession. I mean, that is an apology. There is no rationalizing. He just owns it. I'm so sick of celebrity apologies. It is the same canned apology every single time that their PR agent had them write, wrote up for them and had them read. And again, this is where I I don't think we totally always can admit our fault. How often do you hear this? You know, I'm sorry, that wasn't me. Who who was it? (laughs) That wasn't me. That's not my character. I'm like, bro, the TMZ video, it looked a lot like you. But that's how we don't have to take responsibility. We can separate ourselves from it. Does David do that? Why did you do that jacked up thing? Because I'm jacked up. I'm a sinner and I'm messed up. And instead of walking with the grace of God, I walked out of the sinner that I am. But notice what he says. You know, I messed up and I did wrong. And that hurt you. He acknowledges against you and you above all, I have sinned. Think of how much healing can come out of that if we would not just acknowledge the wrong, but acknowledge the hurt that it caused. Again, a couple more to go. Let's look at point five of a biblical apology. This is huge. Accept the consequences, such as making restitution. The biblical picture of apology isn't just feeling bad. It's doing what you can to make it right. I can't just say, oh, I'm so sorry, I mean, I'm so sorry I stole your iPad. I have to. If I'm genuinely apologetic, genuinely repentant, oh, I'm sorry I stole your iPad. Here, have it back. I didn't really steal this. I bought this. It was just for an example. Right? You have to be willing to make it right. Zacchaeus, when he repents, I know I wronged people. I'm going to go pay it back. You go to work. You know what? You worked hard on that project. I took all the credit. I'm sorry I did that. I'm going to go let everybody know that that was really your work. Like You have to get to that next step. It can't just be feeling bad for what is done. If you want to think of and understand a good godly apology, I remember reading this passage and it jumped off the page. Because not all apologies are godly. And Paul unpacks that in Corinthians. Look at this verse with me. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. Do you see that? There's clearly two. You can say apology. There's a worldly apology in a godly apology. They end up in very different places. One's death and one is life. There is a difference. It's helpful to know that as you're experiencing an apology and as you're giving an apology. There's a difference between repentance and regret. 
all human beings regret negative decisions that have negative consequences. That doesn't make you biblical. That makes you human. Understand the difference. I'm not just displaying my remorse. How often abuse do you hear that? Oh, but he's so sorry. Oh, oh, he really feels bad. Okay, there's a difference between remorse and repentance. And here is the difference. If you're going to apologize, what is on kind of the center of your crosshairs? What is the bullseye for you? What are you most consumed with? If it is getting out of consequences, you are most likely in a worldly apology and experience worldly grief. Take me back. I'm so sorry I did that. Will you take me back? Can I get my job back? Can you please? Can I? And if you are consumed, why are you apologizing? Because I need this back or I need to restore this. You're just under remorse. You're just sad that your life got messed up. I saw the head of UFC, Dana White. He just got busted slapping his wife. I'm so sick of just hearing that. And oh yeah, well, I, well people are going to look down on me now. And that's, no, that stinks. Of it's not just regretting the consequences so much more. This is a church father from the fourth century. I think this really helps. Worldly sorrow is regret for the loss of money, reputation, and friends. That kind of sorrow merely leads to greater harm. Only sorrow for the sin is really profitable. If you're apologizing and you're focused on, on how you have offended Christ... If like your contrition for your sin, now you're in a biblical apology, uh, in godly grief. I'm not just trying to get my life back. I'm not just trying. See, one wants everything to stay the same. One wants change. So one, okay, just please let it go back to the way it was. Please stop these consequences. One says, I'm not trying to get out of consequences. In fact, I lean in because I want to be different. And if keeping these consequences helps me get there, then I'm in. That's why we don't, so much why we don't apologize, why we don't confess, because I'm not, they, they're not going get to get away with this. You can separate relational healing from consequences. And you see that. You saw that in David. David said, I'm sorry. God said, you're forgiven. And he said, nevertheless, there, there's going to be some consequences coming out of this. And if all you're trying to do is get out of your bad situation, you're in worldly grief, worldly apology. That's no more than regret. But we need to get to the place where I'm embracing consequences. And then moving forward, it's not just bad about what I've done. Moving forward, got two more. I'm going to alter my behavior. Repentance, it talks about having fruit in keeping with repentance. Look at this proverb together. It's so clearly in both of them. Proverbs 28. Whoever conceals their sin, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It's not just saying, I did this. It's saying, I did this and I repent, I'm renouncing it. It's not just saying, I was going down a bad way. I know what I did was wrong. It's saying, I'm going to go a good way. Sorry, you guys are the bad way side. I pointed right at you, and I'm sorry. Right? Like, it's not just acknowledging 
regret for what you've done. It's saying, I'm going to be different. It's making a plan. That's repentance. You can't just say, I'm sorry I did that, and then keep doing it. Again, that's just remorse. That's regret. I want to give you one last one, maybe the hardest one. Seventh, ask for forgiveness. If the goal is relational healing, we just saw it in Proverbs. You confess, and then you find mercy. Forgiveness and healing of the relationship has to be the goal. It's so uncomfortable. It's so hard to say. Part of the difficulty with this sermon is it is, I'm like, how do I get there? And that's where I went back to just the principles I were taught. It's actually quite simple and unbelievably difficult. Oh, how do I apologize? We can make it complex. That's it. That's how you apologize. Any word on that slide that you don't understand? Is there a confusion? Right? We don't we got to get rid of our commas. We need more periods, but then one question mark. That's what we say. Look, I know what I did was wrong. I know I yelled at you in my anger, and I realized that hurt you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Do you know how much money in therapy you will save if you memorize this paragraph and mean it? And some of it, right, I mean, it's so hard. Like, let's rip the Band-Aid because some people have never heard it. Some people have never said it. So we're just going to read it together just as practice. You know, I'm going to say it out loud. Church, let's read this together. I know I blank. I realize this hurt you. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. Let's say that one together. That's a tough one. Let's say it. I was wrong. Anybody glitch out? <laughs> I was... The pen is blue. And I do want, before we close, right? Those are very practical and powerful if you apply the principles. I would say, I, I literally think that's impossible apart from God. Since our shame and sin entered this world, all of us were in that seat. I was, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. All in this room are terrified if people saw the worst parts of us, if they really knew us, we would be rejected. And as humans, we can't do that. So what do we do? We hide. We blame shift. We justify. We rationalize. To sit in that vulnerable, fully laid bare in our shame is impossible. And that's why we resist it. But the beauty is God doesn't leave us in our shame and in our nakedness. And he allows us the freedom to do this. See, in Genesis, I think there's a verse, and it is a crucial verse that we just read over. We think of the sin. We think of the consequences. We think of the banishment from the garden. That's not all that happened. As they're wrapping themselves in fig leaves, as they're just in their shame, unbearably vulnerable, God does this. And the Lord God made for Adam 
and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. He covers their shame. He covers their nakedness so that they can live in freedom of their shame and freedom from their sin. This is Genesis. Has anything up until this point died? No. Where does the skins come from? This is a picture of Christ. Something needs to die to cover their shame. And the sacrifice dies so that they can be covered in their shame. That is the gospel, my friends. We can't, I can't just really tell you, I mean, as Christians, and I'm preaching to myself, we should be the least defensive people on the planet. I no longer have to justify myself. I no longer have to hide. My shame and my sin has been covered. There's nothing keeping me from just fully confessing, admitting, knowing that those sins have been paid for. I'm not naked in my shame. I'm covered in Christ and free to tell you, I'm sorry, I did that. I confess. And when we experience that, we can openly go and say, you know what? I own this. I was wrong. I did this, right? With your kids, how do you, you want them to finally confess? What do you got to remind them? Again, consequences are different. Like, honey, sweetie, I'm not mad at you. Can you tell me what happened? And as Christians, we have that. We have that, okay, me and God are good. My shame has been covered. I can just tell you, I'm sorry, here's what I did. I was wrong. Help me to, how can I make this right? You bow your heads and pray with me. Father, I thank you for the gospel. God, I want relationships to be restored and healed. God, and it doesn't always happen. I can't control what the other person does, but God, help us to do our part. And our part is believing the gospel. God, that you cover us, that you heal us, that we are free of our shame. Give us that freedom to go about the healing journey of reconciliation because of what you have done for us. God, help us to be peacemakers in Jesus' name.